The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are in the section, chapters 12, 13, and 14, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the topic of spiritual gifts, and that's where we've been for a few weeks, and we will continue to be as he's bringing more revelation from God to clarify matters in their local church. We are going to be looking at verse 10 today on another spiritual gift. We've looked at about five spiritual gifts so far. We want to explain them in their context and in detail. Very important for us, very relevant and practical for us as a church today as there is much confusion about the spiritual gifts in the church around the world, really. And God's Word is the clarifying word and the plumb line to bring us back on the straight and narrow with truth in every area, and that includes spiritual gifts. Let me follow along as I read verses 7 and following, because chapter 12, verse 7, verse 7 is kind of the summary statement of all of chapter 12. And then after 7, Paul starts listing specific spiritual gifts, nine of them in particular that we're looking at. So for the context, verse 7, the Apostle Paul said, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one Christian is given the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, and to another Christian, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, and to another, faith, by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, and to another, the effecting of miracles or powers, and to another, prophecy, and to another Christian, the gift of distinguishing of spirits, and to another Christian, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of of tongues, but one and the same Spirit or Holy Spirit works all these things, distributing to each Christian individually just as God or the Spirit wills. I called the sermon today just the gift of prophecy. So as we go on, a couple weeks ago I actually read a list of the actual uh, gifts that have been delineated in Scripture. There were 19 of them. Prophecy is one of those, gift of the church. And that's the one that's mentioned here, and we want to look at it. The Apostle Paul is uh, reminding the Corinthians of nine of the gifts. Most of the ones that he mentions were pertinent to that congregation 2,000 years ago. The Corinthians were highly gifted. They had spiritual gifts. They were empowered by the Spirit. Many of the ones that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians 12 are sign gifts or miraculous gifts that were confirming miraculous empowerments uh, to validate the word of the messenger or the message at that time as they didn't have the whole New Testament yet. Uh, so these are uh, pretty unique gifts. And the one we're looking at today is the gift of prophecy because Paul mentions it here. And then actually chapter, the rest of chapter 12, all of chapter 13, and all of chapter 14, Paul talks more about prophecy. Prophecy was a huge deal that needed clarification among the Corinthians. Apparently some of the Corinthians thought they were gifted in prophecy. Um, and they actually were, maybe some of them weren't, but they thought they were. And then they became disorderly in the public church service, as apparently several were saying, Thus saith the Lord, and I've got a prophecy, and I've got a vision. And then doing it uh, at the same time, and there was confusion, there was disorder, it was embarrassing, it was a bad testimony, it was breaking biblical protocol. And, and some of it may have even been a pseudo-prophecy that wasn't even true. And so Paul, that's why he spends uh, three chapters on the spiritual gifts, but in particular on the gift of prophecy to set the record straight. So we need to introduce uh, the gift of prophecy. So my goal is uh, 
to really define what the gift of prophecy was today. And so I got seven points there to help us summarize it. Um, the gift of prophecy, very important for us to know what it really is today because there is a lot of confusion on the gift of prophecy today. Just do what I did this week as I was studying. Go on Google and the gift of prophecy, click, and then there's a zillion things that pop up and that, or questions like is prophecy for today or living prophets for today and all kinds of stuff, stuff pops up or you can go to Christian television and a lot of people claiming to be prophets. Um, and so, and there's a lot of confusion and a lot of disparity from different Christian point of views. So we need to get some clarity here. And I think scripture is very clear. It's really not that complicated. So hopefully as we study the scriptures together, we can determine that that is true. Uh, before I begin the seven points there, the gift of prophecy was a gift by God given to the local church after Christ ascended into heaven, which it was different than the gift of prophecy that existed in the Old Testament. Um, it's different on one hand, but there were many things that were similar. The nature of, the, of prophecy was the same or the prophet, but there were differences. There are things in the Old Testament that existed that also exist in the New Testament, but sometimes there's some differences that are significant. At the same time, there's some carryover. So there's discontinuity and continuity between certain things, and prophecy would be one of those. Prophecy was around in the Old Testament. There was prophecy in the New Testament, but they're not identical. This gift that Paul is mentioning in 1 Corinthians 12.10, the gift of prophecy, was unique in many ways and different and distinct than prophecy in the Old Testament, even though there's overlap. For, uh, and a similar example might be, are there priests in the New Testament? Yes. With the New Testament church, there are priests. Well, who are the priests in the New Testament church? Well, every believer is a priest, right? That's, that's clear. Were there priests in the Old Testament? Yes. Was every believer a priest in the Old Testament? No. So um, there's discontinuity and there is continuity. There are things that are similar and things that are different. And that is also true of prophecy in the New Testament versus the Old Testament. So we're going to be emphasizing the distinct components, elements, manifestation of this gift of prophecy that was limited to the church uh, versus the gift of prophecy or the prophetic office that existed in the Old Testament. So uh, first I want to give you, by way of summary, I just thought this would be helpful. I want to give you a, a kind of a comprehensive definition of the spiritual gift of prophecy according to the New Testament that has been held unilaterally with uniformity and solidarity by the, the biblical church throughout history for the last 1,800 years, all the way actually up until the early 1900s from that which was considered a legitimate and biblical church. There wasn't much disagreement through the ages about what prophecy was because their definition was just based on Scripture and not on current so-called phenomenon going around in the culture and the world today trying to come up with a definition, but it's rooted in Scripture. So here's the traditionally accepted definition of the New Testament gift of prophecy that Jesus gave to his church after he ascended into heaven that is exemplified, explained, manifest in our New Testament starting, for the most part, in the book of Acts and with the apostles. So here's a, a definition. Prophets spoke for God. They spoke on behalf of God. 
uh, thus says the Lord. That's in the Old Testament, but it also is true of the New Testament gift. Um, So God literally, when a prophet spoke in the name of the Lord, he was speaking the very words of God. That's basic to its definition. Uh, One theologian says, and well says in his summary statement of what the New Testament gift of prophecy was, he said, quote, it was communicating revelations, that, that word is very important, revelations from God in a spontaneous utterance. Spontaneous, that's also key. Spontaneous uh, in a moment. You didn't have to study it and toil and labor and uh, through the study and searching of scriptures and then, oh, here's what I have concluded after two weeks of what I think this prophecy might mean. No, the prophet of God, this is true in the Old Testament and the New Testament, spoke spontaneously as they were moved by the Spirit of God to speak the words of God. Uh, another, and he, he also says this, the New Testament prophets, like the apostles, spoke the word of the Lord accurately without error. Oh, that is tremendously important. So when a New Testament prophet spoke and he said, thus saith the Lord, or he thought he was speaking prophetically in the name of God and he was a true prophet, what he said was accurate, authoritative, without error. The reason that's so important is because there are many today who would say, well, yeah, there's prophets and they speak and they're real prophets, but they don't necessarily speak without error all the time when they're speaking in the name of the Lord. Or even some of their prophecies aren't without error. They have mistakes at times. That's totally inconsistent with anything Scripture has to say. As a matter of fact, the test or litmus test for a true prophet in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, very clear by God, if someone gets up and claims to speak in my name and calls himself a prophet and says, thus saith the Lord and speaks a name and the word of the Lord, and that thing does not come to pass. He is a false prophet and was to be stoned to death. God doesn't make mistakes. So this is absolutely essential to the definition of prophecy. Uh, another theologian, Bible teacher, accurately defines prophecy, the New Testament gift, this way. The receipt and delivery of divine revelations. Beautiful simplicity and nails it. The receipt and delivery of divine revelations. Another uh, New Testament scholar says uh, that prophecy, oh, prophets were channels of direct revelation. Not always, but when they were speaking prophetically, they were. Direct revelation. Channels of direct revelation, divine revelation. Very specific words that these men are using, which is in accord with Scripture, the word of the Lord. Um, He he also says their words, the prophets in the New Testament, when they spoke prophetically, were inspired. What else is inspired? Scripture. They're on the same plane. Because it's the word of God. Their words were inspired and authoritative. That's clear from the New Testament. There's a lot of confusion in the Christian world among Christians, even well-respected pastors and teachers that can't get agree, uh, agree, and sometimes I don't even know how they come up with their conclusions because it doesn't seem to be based on Scripture. Even Webster's gets it right. Listen to Webster's Dictionary on the definition of prophecy. One who utters divinely inspired revelation. You can't improve on that. I don't even know if Mr. Webster's a Christian or not or if he's in heaven. One who utters divinely inspired revelation. The words of God. Also, uh, another one reminds us that a pre- the predictive element was indispensable to prophecy. We, we see this in the book of Acts several times. A prophet didn't always 
when they spoke, it wasn't always regarding the future. It wasn't always predictive, but it was always divine revelation. It was always direct revelation. It was always special revelation. It was always supernatural revelation. It was always new revelation. And many times it was predictive. But not only was it predictive of the future, a New Testament prophet could, with the gift of prophecy, speak divine revelation, heavenly revelation about issues of the past. In other words, they're giving a divine revelation, a divine explanation about events of the past from God's point of view. That's new revelation. That's new information. Or they could give divine revelation explaining the present. See, that's not predictive. It's not talking about the future, but it's explaining from God's point of view with new information, new revelation, divine revelation, God's point of view of what's going on right now in the present. So it wasn't always predictive, but it always was new divine revelation. Always. And prophets in the New Testament and prophecy, I believe, died out with the apostles and the New Testament, as far as we could tell from the New Testament statements that are made there, and also just history missing for 1,800 years until the 1900s, and all of a sudden, poof, uh, prophets are back on planet Earth for some reason somehow. Um, So with that, let's go ahead and look at our outline there, and we'll go through kind of a survey of the gift of prophecy according to the Bible and the New Testament gift in particular. So I put there, the gift of prophecy was a special endowment of the Holy Spirit that was characterized by the following seven traits. These are the main ones. This is not exhaustive. So let's look at the first one. Uh, The New Testament gift of prophecy was for the church dispensation. Dispensation, I know that's a big word. Uh, Just the church age, um, this gift was given and began not prior to the existence of the church. So in other words, I'm not talking about the gift of prophecy from the Old Testament, even though there are similarities. This is a specific gift that was given with the beginning of the church. Very clear. Uh, the church started in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to see right here. So go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is clear about this. We went through Ephesians verse by verse. We've already referred to this verse, so I'll just do it quickly. But Ephesians 4 Uh, The whole chapter of Ephesians 4 is talking about the growth of the church of Christ and how Christ grows, matures, and builds his church, the local church, but also the universal church and the historical church for the last 2,000 years. God, One of the main ways that God builds the church, edifies the church, is by using his people, fellow Christians, empowering them with the Holy Spirit to use their gift to serve in the local church, and they edify and build the church together. And Spiritual gifts is absolutely key and essential to that. This all began, verse 7 in Ephesians chapter 4, when Jesus Christ, he died, he was buried, he rose again from the dead, he was with his uh, disciples for 40 days, then he ascended into heaven, and after the ascension, there was Pentecost where he sent his spirit and he began the church. And when he began his church, he also gave spiritual gifts to believers. And that's what this is talking about. So that when Christ uh, ascended and descended, and then when he ascended after that, he distributed spiritual gifts. That's verse 7, Christ's gift. That's we're talking about spiritual gifts given to believers in the church. Verse 8 says he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts, spiritual gifts to believers. That's the context. That's what it's talking about. Uh, He did this after his resurrection and ascension. What were these gifts that he gave? Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles. And some of these gifts that he gave to the church were prophets. See, there it is. An apostle was a spiritual gift given by Jesus 
at the beginning of the church after he ascended, and so was this gift of prophet. So this is different than Old Testament prophet. This is a New Testament gift of prophet for the church. So after the ascension, Christ began to build his church, giving apostles first, then prophets, then evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, to build up the church. So um, it is for so the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12.10 is a specific gift for this dispensation, the church age, not the Old Testament. So that's important to keep that in mind. With that, uh, let's go to number two. So the gift of prophecy was for the church age uh, or dispensation. And then number two, Jesus was the incarnation. Jesus was the incarnation of the gift of prophecy. What I mean by incarnation, he was the model. He was uh, the greatest worker of the gift of prophecy. As a matter of fact, through the ages, theologians have rightly called Jesus prophet, priest, and king. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 22, it actually refers to Jesus as a prophet. Was Jesus a prophet? Absolutely. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, God predicted to Moses, 1400 B.C., that I'm going to raise up. Moses, you are a prophet. You speak uh, face to face with God. I put my words in your mouth. You speak for me and you do it faithfully so. Uh, you're the leader of your nation. You are a great man, but there's one greater than you coming. And I will raise up a prophet greater than you, Moses, with a capital P. And the Jews came to believe that that was the Messiah who would be a prophet, among other things. And then Jesus came and fulfilled that role. He was the greatest of all prophets, and he fulfilled Deuteronomy 18. And Jesus himself was a prophet. He's called a prophet in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. And everything about a prophet, a prophet first and foremost, is a faithful speaker of God's word to the people. And that's what Jesus was. He spoke faithfully on behalf of the Father to the people as a prophet, and his words were divine revelation. They were binding. They were without error. They were infallible. They were authoritative. They were practical. Practical. Jesus, the faithful prophet. So, because I, the reason that's important, I mentioned a few weeks ago that the, the, of the 19 spiritual gifts in the New Testament, Jesus modeled all of them perfectly, except for the two that we have no account of him doing, and that was speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Everything else, Jesus was the master. Uh, so the gift of prophecy was for the church dispensation. Jesus was the incarnation. We'll go on to number three. Uh, few had this specialization. Few people had this gift. Not every Christian had the gift of prophecy. Why am I mentioning that? Look at 1 Corinthians twelve twenty nine. I mean, a couple of verses before that, we already read one of them, that to another, God gave this spiritual gift. But to another different person, God gave this spiritual gift. And to another, God gave this one as he determined, as he sovereignly willed. Or as a Christian, we don't say, God, I want this one, and I want to be an apostle, and I would like this one too, and I want to do some miracles. It doesn't work that way. It's not our will or volition. It's God sovereignly gives the gifts as he wills, and not everybody has the same gift. So a common teaching that abounds today that is very confusing is this idea or notion that every Christian can have any spiritual gift they want to, and every Christian can have all the spiritual gifts. I mean, I read commentary after commentary uh, and website after website of saying, yeah, you should pursue this gift because everybody can have this gift of prophecy. I'm thinking, no, you can't. It's clear in Scripture. 
God's the one that gives it. As a matter of fact, uh, it was a rare gift in the New Testament when we saw it modeled. And God's the one that gave it uh, sovereignly as he determined. And Paul is just categorical on this. In 1229, he says rhetorically in your Greek text, which you don't have in front of you, most of you, in the English, it says, are, all are not apostles, are they? It's a rhetorical question. In other words, Paul is saying categorically that uh, here's all these spiritual gifts, but not everybody has the gift of apostleship. Not all of you are apostles. It says the same thing, the next question. All are not prophets, are they? Literally what he's saying is not every Christian has the gift of prophecy. That may have been actually the problem with the Corinthians. Probably too many of them thought they had the gift of prophecy, and Paul is there to break the news saying, you know what, uh, this gift is rare. Not all of you have the gift, and only a few people have it. And not every Christian can have the gift of prophecy. It is select, it is rare, and it's given to whom God wills. Not every Christian has the gift of apostleship. Not every gift uh, Christian has the gift of prophecy. Not every Christian has the gift of teaching. Not every Christian has uh, the ability to do miraculous powers and cast out demons. Not every Christian has the gift of healing. Not every Christian has the gift of speaking in tongues. Not, I mean, that's huge today. But he's clear. And what I mean is by specialization that only a few were given this gift. If you study the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, here's what becomes clear. The apostles had the gift of prophecy. All apostles had the gift of prophecy, but not all prophets were apostles. But all the apostles were given divine revelation by God to speak spontaneously. We know that. That's how they came up with the New Testament. Jesus said he would give them that gift. You will speak on my behalf. You'll speak divine revelation. So all the apostles had this gift, so it was rare. Uh, there are a few prophets mentioned by name in the book of Acts in the New Testament, and here's just a few of them. Acts 13.1 mentions that Barnabas was a, had the gift of prophecy. Simeon had the gift of prophecy. Lucius, whoever he was. Manan, another guy. Judas, not the bad Judas, just another Christian. Judas had the gift of prophecy. Silas or Silvanus had the gift of prophecy, according to Acts 15. Uh, another guy named Agabus shows up twice in the book of Acts. Actually, let's look at Agabus real quick. He had the gift of prophecy, Acts chapter 11, verse 28, 21, verse 10. Uh, go to the book of Acts. We'll just We'll look at the one in chapter 11, the prophecy that Agabus gives. Uh, Philip's daughters, he had four virgin daughters that were prophetesses, uh, Acts 21, 9. It doesn't say anything more about them, but these young female ladies had a unique gift to speak on behalf of God spontaneously. Divine revelation, amazing. And there was protocol for doing it the right way. But Agabus in Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 28, it says, uh, starting at verse 27, Now at this time, uh, this time is like A.D. 44, at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of the prophets that came down was named Agabus. And Agabus stood up and he began to indicate by the Spirit. See, there it is. He began to prophesy in the power of the Holy Spirit. He began to indicate by the Holy Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. Now, all over the then known world was a common phrase, a colloquialism that just referred to the Roman Empire. And it was a prediction. So he's saying this. Agabus is predicting this in AD 44. And then we look from history from people like Tacitus, Josephus, 
Suetonius and others, that there indeed was famines that ravaged the Roman Empire from A.D. 45 to A.D. 47. This was fulfilled to the T, as Agabus predicted through the power of the Holy Spirit, during the reign. It gets very specific. This isn't just some nebulous so-called prophecy. There would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place, says Luke, in the reign of Claudius, which was uh, A.D. 41 to 56. That's just absolutely amazing. And uh, validating that this was indeed the word of God. So there is a good example of a New Testament prophet. It's uh, predictive in nature. Uh, It was a spontaneous utterance. It was divine revelation. It was without error. It was to be heeded by all that heard it. Amazing. Divine revelation. Agabus. So the gift was rare. Everybody across the world wasn't having the gift. Uh, Let's go on to number four. So um, prophecy was for the church dispensation. Jesus was the incarnation. If you have the specialization, and number four, uh, the gift of prophecy was a greater manifestation, a greater manifestation, a greater manifestation than what? Well, it was a greater of all the gifts that I mentioned, 19. There were some that were greater than others. There were, there were some that were lesser than others. And Paul says, and one of his main arguments here in the book of Corinthians, going back to Corinthians, is Paul says that prophecy was actually greater than tongues. And apparently one of the main problems in the church at Corinth was the Corinthians were making a bigger deal out of speaking in tongues than all the other spiritual gifts. And they were taking pride in that, and there was a lack of balance. And they preferred speaking in tongues over serving. That's a spiritual gift. I don't want to serve. I've got the gift of speaking in tongues. And so that was a a huge problem in the church. So Paul literally has to argue, you know what? Uh, You're showcasing one of the most least significant gifts in terms of the edification it can bring to the corporate body of Christ speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, if it's not interpreted, it is worthless. But prophecy spoken articulately to who hears it immediately is of the greatest benefit to God's people. And so he literally says that. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 14 where he continues his argument and he says uh, in chapter 14, verse 5, Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues because of how edifying it is for everybody, the clarity with which it comes. And there's a lot. There's a few other reasons why I believe that uh, prophecy was a greater manifestation, greater than other gifts. Uh, Actually, let's look at a couple. Um. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 28. 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, God has appointed in the church first, he uses that word first, it is specific, it means something. This gift, which is first apostleship, comes before all others. Why does the gift of apostleship come before all, all others? Is it chronologically? Is it in terms of importance? I would say yes and yes. It was foundational. The apostles were authoritative over the church when they spoke on behalf of God. Teachers, by way of position, were not authoritative over the church universal. I'm a teacher. I don't have authority outside of this building. I don't have authority outside of God's word. Not true of an apostle. The apostle had delegated authority from Jesus himself over the churches. Uh, So that's why apostleship is first, preeminent, primary spiritual gift that God gave the church. And along with, hand in hand with apostleship, second was prophets. 
in terms of its chronology and also in terms of its importance and authority because a prophet, when a prophet spoke the word of God, that was equal to written scripture. That's how binding it was and absolutely authoritative. And Paul's going to say, we're going to see this in Ephesians, with that, because apostleship and prophecy or prophets were primary and the priority, that is what God laid the foundation of the church on, the apostles and the prophets. So it is the greatest or one of the greater manifestations of spiritual gifts. Uh, let's go on to number five. After uh, the gift of prophecy was a greater manifestation, uh, number five, God used the spiritual gift of prophecy in the New Testament. He used it to lay the foundation. I just alluded to that. God used prophets of the New Testament and their prophecies to lay the foundation of the church. Three passages that I want to look at in Ephesians. So go there, starting in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. The whole, one of the main themes of the book of Ephesians, that short epistle, is the body of Christ of the church. How God started it, how he builds it, how he grows it, its authority, its structure, how it's supposed to function. It is almost comprehensive in terms of the church. And three times he makes references to New Testament prophets or the gift of prophecy and how God used that in laying the foundation of the church, starting in chapter 2 at verse 20. But before we get there, um, Paul starts, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, he says how people first got saved and joined the church. You were saved by grace through faith, and then you were added to the church, the body of Christ. And then over the course of time, God is trying to build and grow this church. Verse 16, he's trying to reconcile Jew, save Jews, save Gentile into one new man, not the theocracy of Israel, not the nation of Israel, but a new entity that is totally different from the nation of Israel. This new entity is called the one new man that is in Christ. It's called the church. It's called the body of Christ. That's the context of chapter 2. One body in Jesus Christ, the church, a new thing, a new entity. It's not in the Old Testament. That's why Jesus said, I will build my church. It was yet future. So God started the church. He's growing the church. He builds the church. Verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens as unsaved people, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, those who are saved and are of God's household, uh, the spiritual family, the church. Verse 20 having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There it is. The church started at Pentecost, and the church started by God laying the foundation of the church through the apostles and the prophets. And the main foundation that the apostles and prophets laid for the church was divine revelation that is now inscripturated in our Bible. The 27 books of the New Testament came from the apostles, came from the New Testament uh, prophets, and that is the foundation of Christianity. It's the foundation of our church. And once you lay the foundation of a building, you don't build the foundation again. Oh, let's, let's build the foundation all over again on floor number four. No, you, the whole building will crash down. One foundation is sufficient. It's done its job. It's served its purpose. That was true of the apostles and the prophets. And then after God laid the foundation, there are no more apostles. There are no more prophets. The job had been finished. So that is the foundation. Staying in Ephesians, go to Ephesians chapter 3, where he makes another reference to New Testament prophets. Um, Verse 3, he says, I'm getting divine revelation from God about this mystery called the church. The church is called a mystery in verse 3 because uh, 
There was nothing about the church in the Old Testament. It wasn't revealed by God in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New Testament, this idea of church, the one new man. And Paul got much of that new revelation or that mystery about the church. Verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 5, which in other generations in the Old Testament was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his, here it is, his holy prophets or his holy apostles and prophets. So God revealed this idea of the church to the apostles and after the apostles, the New Testament prophets. It was new information. There is no church in the Old Testament. That's why Paul calls it a mystery. So the job of the apostles and prophets was revealed. And notice he says uh, that it was revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. See, there it is. That's consistent with 1 Corinthians 12 as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And then one last reference to the gift of prophets and prophecy in the New Testament to lay the foundation would be uh, chapter 4, verse 11. And we just referred to this a little earlier. Christ gave spiritual gifts to the church after he ascended and went into heaven. And then at Pentecost, he gave the spirit, empowered his people who were believers with spiritual gifts to build up and edify the church, beginning with first, said Corinthians, verse 11. And Christ gave spiritual gifts, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. Those are gifted men who had gifts to help build the church. So the gift of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 12, was a foundational gift, a miraculous gift, a sign gift, divine revelation, a select few for laying the foundation of the church. And once the foundation was completed, that gift ceased. Why are you saying it ceased? Because I believe that Scripture said it would cease. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. God prophesied that prophecy would cease. And he does that in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's look at that verse in 1 Corinthians 13. Because, again, you know, because of this view, this is the historic Christian view, by the way, for 1,800 years. There's really no deviation from this view and interpretation or definition of New Testament prophecy to say that it ceased after the first century. And one of the main reasons that uh, Christians throughout the years have always believed that is because that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, among other places. Love, by the way, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, he's contrasting spiritual gifts versus love. What's greater, love or spiritual gifts? Uh, love. You can do spiritual gifts the wrong way. That's his argument. Um, so he starts mentioning spiritual gifts in verse 13 and con contrasting it with love. The tongues of men in verse 13. Spirit, you speak in tongues, but you don't have love, you're nothing. You're, you're a bunch of noise. Verse 2, if you have the gift of prophecy, but you don't have love, you're nothing. You're a zero. So prophecy is great. It's greater than tongues. But if it's done without love, zero. It doesn't edify. It's not fulfilling its purpose. The gift of giving in verse 3 is mentioned. The gift of faith is mentioned. The gift of wisdom and knowledge is mentioned. But if it's without love, the spiritual gifts, they're nothing. They're worthless. It needs to be done in love with the right motive and so uh reaching the climax of his argument in verse 8 he said love never fails you can never go wrong as a christian employing true biblical love you can go wrong as a christian employing your spiritual gift the wrong way you can do it self selfishly with the wrong motive to show off with partiality in a wrong way if you act out biblical love the right way, it never fails. 
which is not true of the spiritual gifts. And that's why in verse 8 he says, uh, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, and there is, as a matter of fact, it just says, but if prophecy, the gift of prophecy, here's something about the gift of prophecy, or, or the prophecies, they will be done away. There it is. God will have a limited use of the gift of prophecy. He will accomplish his purpose. He will lay the foundation for the church. He'll inscripturate the New Testament for his saints for all time. And then he won't need to use the gift of prophecy anymore. He's done. Other gifts will come into play, like the gift of teacher and evangelist. By the way, our pastor shepherd, the, the pastor shepherd gift was not operating at the very beginning when the apostles were doing their work, even though they were like shepherds. But the gift, the distinct gift, was not in operation yet. The gift of being a teacher and a prophet subsumed or overtook or carried on the work of prophet and apostle and carries on with continuity today. And so there it is right there. How can you say the prophecy ceased? Well, it says right here it's going to be done away with at some point. Well, when is it going to be done away with? Well, it says it will be done away, and then it says... Um, for, verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. By the way, prophecy and that gift, it's limited in its scope. So it's not comprehensive anyway. So there's another limitation of prophecy. But when the perfect comes, the telos comes, the mature comes. When the mature comes, the partial will be done away. Well, what is the mature? Because that will let us know when prophecy ceased. And that's a message for another day when I'm in 1 Corinthians 13. So we'll wait till then. But I would argue that it ceased with the laying of the foundation. So uh, it was foundational. So let's go on to number six, the gift of prophecy. It had st a distinct specification or specifications. The gift of prophecy had distinct specification. In other words, uh, it was unique as a spiritual gift. It wasn't synonymous with other spiritual gifts because several people today and some of the commentaries I was reading, and this is common, they will define the gift, the New Testament gift of prophecy like this, they'll say it was the ability to insightfully and uniquely exposit God's word and exhort God's people with his written word. And I'm thinking, no, that's not the gift of prophecy. That's preaching. That's, what a past, that's the gift of pastor and teacher. That is not the gift of prophecy. But that was a common definition. And that's a, a recent common definition. That is not the historic traditional tradition from script, uh, definition from Scripture or, or history. And look at Acts chapter 13, uh, verse, verse 1, Acts 13, verse 1. Because there are those who look at this and they say, okay, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. And some will argue and say, well, what that means is prophets, even teachers, or prophets who were teachers. And, what, and then they make up their definition saying, see, the New Testament gift of prophecy was just simply teaching, teaching Scripture, teaching the Bible. And what they do is they meld the two in chapter 13, verse 1. Prophets was synonymous with teachers. And say, no, it's not. Prophets are different than teachers. That is clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, where it said, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. So there's a clear distinction. And also in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, a clear distinction. So the gift of teaching is different than the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is different than the gift of exhortation. We're going to look at the gift of exhortation as well. Exhortation is a very specific Greek word, and it has three different meanings, and it's used in three different ways in the New Testament. And it was a verbal speaking gift, and it was not a 
predictive gift. It was not necessarily a sign gift. I believe it's an ongoing gift. Some of you have this gift. You're using this gift. We are blessed by this gift of exhortation, but it is not synonymous with prophecy, like many try to say, that prophecy is nothing more than exhorting from the Scriptures today. And I'm like, no. And they say that there are prophets today, and as a matter of fact, they are a prophet. I say, no, you're just a Bible teacher and maybe a pastor. So that's what I mean by specifications. We need to keep it distinct, as Paul does in the New Testament. Let's go on to number seven. Um, the New Testament gift of prophecy was special revelation. This is huge. Special revel- by special revelation, I mean new revelation that God has given. That wasn't previously preserved, already written down in Scripture. That was the gift of prophecy. That, that's consistent from Genesis to Revelation regarding prophecy. It always entailed special revelation, new revelation, divine revelation, supernatural and heavenly revelation, also called direct revelation. It was always new. Webster's got it right. So that's at the heart of the very definition. It was special revelation. It wasn't just a very gifted guy standing up and teaching insightfully from Scripture, as some would have us believe. No, if it's not new revelation, then it's not the gift of prophecy. It was inspired. Because it was new revelation and special revelation, that means it was inspired revelation, which puts it on the same par as Scripture. So when a true prophet spoke a prophetic word, what he said or she said was equally authoritative as Scripture, whether it was written down or not. When it was spoken, it was equally binding and authoritative. Thus saith the Lord. What's more authoritative, when God says something or when he writes it down? Uh, the answer is both, right? Not everything that a prophet said in the Spirit was written down. But when it was spoken and it was truly a prophecy from God, it was inspired. Because it was inspired, it was binding, it was without error, it was inerrant, it was infallible, it was to be heeded and obeyed, and it was of various uh, nature, whether it was doctrinal, practical, personal, uh, universal, local, all kinds of prophecies were given. Interpreting the present, the past, the future, the variety is absolutely amazing in prophecy, but it's all equally authoritative because it is the word of God. So it is divine revelation. That's probably one of the most important things we need to keep in mind on the gift of prophecy today to help us because there's so much confusion out there is at the heart of the definition of the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, particularly in 1 Corinthians 12, is that it was the ability of a saint spontaneously empowered by the Spirit of God to give divine, new, direct, special, inspired revelation. And today we don't need that because we have it all right here in Scripture. Do I believe that there is prophecy today? I do. I believe it's right here in the Bible. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter chapter 2 calls Scripture prophecy. So here it is. The book of Revelation, chapter 1. book of Revelation, chapter 2, calls Scripture prophecy. We have the prophetic word right here. So I do believe in the gift of prophecy. I do believe the gift of prophecy is available today, and it is available in my Bible. Well, what if somebody comes along and says they're a prophet, and they're a prophet of God, and they're speaking prophecies in the name of God? And I'd say, well, bring it on. I want to hear what you have to say. And then I will take that, and I will vet it with Scripture. And if it is consistent with Scripture, then it is superfluous. It's already in the Bible. That's not a prophecy. You stole that out of the Bible. If it is inconsistent with Scripture, it is wrong. And that person 
uh, better be careful in light of Deuteronomy 13 and 18. Which I already talked about. God made it clear. Somebody gets up and says, Thus saith the Lord and uh, professes to be a prophet in the name of God, and that which they speak does not come to pass. It is wrong, and they were to be stoned to death. It's utterly blasphemous to do that. It's not to be taken lightly or flippantly. I'll never forget when I was a teacher at a Christian school in 19... I think it was in 1992 or 94, but it was after the presidential election. So the election was on a Tuesday, so this had to be on a Wednesday. And I'm a seventh grade teacher, and I got all these cute, squirrely seventh graders, about 34 of them in six classes a day. Uh, And I love those kids, Christian school in Southern California. And for the first five minutes, we always prayed and current events and sharing time. So we're having warm, fuzzy sharing time. And it's the day after the elections, and Clinton just got elected for the first time. And there's a student in my class, uh, they want to share, and they get up to share a current event. Uh, yeah, we had a prophet at our church last night. And I was like, whoa, really? Tell us about it. Yeah, we did. Uh, well, tell me about it. Yeah, the prophet, they got, the prophet got up in front of the whole church and said, thus saith the Lord. And shortly hereafter, uh, within the first term, God will strike down President Clinton dead. That's what my seventh grader said. I was like, Wow. You can sit down. And then I actually pulled out the Bible. And I said, okay, guys, uh, here's what we've heard. So-called prophet speaking in the name of the Lord. Let's go to Scripture because that is the standard. And I read them Deuteronomy 13. And I read them Deuteronomy 18. And I said, let's wait four years. And if President Clinton isn't dead within his first term, then that person that came to your church last night is a false prophet. Okay? And we shook on it and they said that was a deal. Well, in case you didn't know, President Clinton did not die in his first term. I, th- I think he's still alive. So whoever that was that got up and made a prophecy in the name of the Lord and then passed the collection plate, by the way, uh, was a false prophet. Or at at least they spoke a false, misleading, deceitful, unbiblical prophecy that did not come true. That is dangerous. And we see it all the time today. A prophet speaks the word of God. It's new revelation. It's divine revelation. It is binding And it's equal to the authority of God himself. He never errs. Now, just in closing, just to show you the confusion that's out there, I was in my studying, I'm going to certain people that I trust and rely on. And and then but the more I study, I was like, wow, boy, these people are this is confusing. I thought studying prophecy would be real simple, but it wasn't. So here are some highly respected, uh, well-known theologians today who have written extensively on prophecy. And here's some of their definitions of prophecy. Okay just so you are aware. Now, when I say these names, you don't need to throw their books in the trash can, but I'm just showing you that uh, there's a diverse point of view even in conservative evangelical Christianity. This is by Wayne Grudem, who wrote a book. on. It's called The Gift of Prophecy in the New Testament and Today. I got to meet Wayne Grudem uh, about two months ago, great, wonderful, winsome man of God, and he's written a great systematic theology, but on this book on prophecy, here are quotes that he said in his book on the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. The New Testament gift of prophecy, quote, every person should pursue this gift of prophecy, end quote. No. He says uh, there are two kinds of New Testament prophecy, two kinds that are different. First, there's the authoritative apostolic prophecy that's binding, authoritative, and never wrong. Then secondly, what you need to understand is there is the non-authoritative local church prophecy in the New Testament. Really? that, by the way, isn't authoritative and without error. Uh, Another thing he said, prophecy is more beneficial to the church than teaching. That's debatable. 
But then he goes on to say, prophecy is not authoritative, but teaching is. Huh? Another quote, prophecy does not have to be obeyed, but teaching does. Wow. Uh, here's one of my mentors. This is John MacArthur uh, in his commentary about prophecy on 1 Corinthians 12. Here are quotes that he wrote. Uh, Prophets differ from these believers with the gift of prophecy in the New Testament who have the gift of prophecy. So he makes a distinction between the office of prophet in the New Testament and the gift of prophecy, which I don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. Uh, He also says prophets did not always give a newly revealed message from God. I'd say, well, actually, they did. Uh, Prophets, the prophet's message was more personal and practical, and it wasn't doctrinal. Well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, prophets did not usually receive direct revelation from God, end quote. Like, wow, I believe just the opposite, because that's what the New Testament says. Prophets always receive direct revelation from God, as our definitions earlier showed in, from the Scripture. And then finally, the last one, there are two kinds of prophecy in the New Testament. There's foretelling, that's predictive, those who could tell the future, and then foretelling, those who just preached. And, no. Uh, those who just preached are teachers and pastors. So anyway, just to show you that, uh, you know, a faithful man of God adds his own nuances to it. Here's John Piper, highly respected, wonderful man of God and pastor, and he's written extensively on that. But listen to what he says about the gift of prophecy, specifically 1 Corinthians 12, 28. This was his commentary that I, was, I wanted to get some help from, and here's conclusions he was making. The gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 10 is still valid in the church today. Quote, Prophecy today does not have apostolic authority, end quote. Quote, prophecy is something we should expect today as a worldwide phenomenon, end quote. Quote, I don't think the gift of prophecy today has the authority of the Old Testament, the authority of Jesus, or the authority of the apostles, end quote. Like, wow, then it's not divine revelation then. Um, Another one, quote, the gift of prophecy today does not carry intrinsic divine authority. But it's spirit-prompted statements that are fallible, end quote. So prophecy spoken today can be fallible. And then the last one, it's a doozy. Uh, The gift of prophecy in the New Testament and today is a spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained utterance that does not carry intrinsic divine authority and may be mixed with error. Wow. Uh, That's just not true. The gift of prophecy, when it was spoken in the name of God by a prophet indeed, it was without error, absolute binding authority. And then finally, I'll just close with this. Uh, Mark Driscoll, well-known, influential pastor here in America for years. Uh, he's got many YouTube videos. Oh, you can see all of his sermons, but in several of his sermons, he talks about the gift of prophecy. He thought he had, he proclaimed to have the gift of prophecy. Uh, and he said, quote, some people actually see things. On occasion, I see things. Now, by the way, another word for prophet is seer. You see things. You see the future. You see inside people's minds. You see visions. And so he said, I see things. Like when I was meeting with this one person, they didn't know this, but they were abused when they were a child. And I said, when you were a child, you were abused. This person did this to you physically. And the person I was talking to said, how do you know? And I said, it's like I have a TV. And he went like this because he was preaching this on YouTube. Uh, It's like I have a TV right here and I'm seeing it and I have visions and I can see it. And there are many of you out there who have the same gift and you can see visions and these things too. I'm like, wow, 
That not, not according to the New Testament. If you're just being objective, study the data, the scripture, putting personalities aside. I mean, if you came, if I said that from this pulpit, you know, I, I can see things. I can see things. And then I give you an example, and I see visions, and I can see into people's hearts, and I can see their past from 20 years ago, and I can speak prophetically with visions. I hope the elders literally would fire me, or at least confront me, and say, you are violating Scripture. That's how dangerous this is. Uh, if somebody comes up to me as a Christian, uh, I see things, and, here I, and they want my opinion. Well, you, see, you probably do see things, but it's probably not the gift of prophecy. Maybe it's your imagination. Maybe um, it's something you ate last night. Maybe you're not getting enough sleep. Maybe it's not enough medication or too much medication. Maybe it's, I mean, I can go on and on. The worst of all that's still a reality is maybe Satan is deceiving you because he can do that. Second Corinthians says it's an angel of light. Satan is deceptive. So I don't deny that people see things. The question is, what are you seeing and what is the source of that vision? And that needs to be measured by Scripture. But this is not an area to be tampering with or be flippant about. And God help us to be discerning. Not hypercritical, discerning. 1 Thessalonians 5, examine everything carefully. Coming down the pike theologically. Examine, every, scrutinize everything in detail carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Reject all that is evil. False prophecies, false doctrine, it is evil. And we are all vulnerable to it. So we need God's help. We need His Word. We need His Holy Spirit who is the true teacher. We need a faithful, discerning believers surrounding us to help us stay on the straight and narrow by God's mercy, all for His glory. So with that, let's go ahead and close with this prophecy. So McManus, do you believe in ongoing prophecy? I actually believe in ongoing prophecy today. I do. I believe that prophecy is being fulfilled. Uh, I had a theologian or teacher in a theology class one time that said, uh, and he was criticizing all these uh, so-called prophets today, and he said, as a matter of fact, not one single prophecy from the Bible is being fulfilled today in our age. And I thought, hmm, let me think about that. I don't know if I agree with that. And then I actually came up with one. I actually know of a prophecy that is being fulfilled today. Let's close with it. It's a wonderful prophecy. It was spoken by Jesus. It's Matthew 16, verse 18. Many of you are actually in this prophecy. This is why it's so exciting. Jesus said before he died and rose again and ascended to heaven, he spoke this prophecy in Matthew 16. Uh, verse 18. I also say to you, so he's speaking in the name of God authoritatively, I say as a spokesperson of God, it is binding, it is true, it is authoritative. And you can count on it, Peter. I say to you, Peter, upon this rock, I, here's the prophecy, I will build my church. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. amen. Every time somebody gets saved, they are fulfilling this prophecy of Jesus. It is continual. It is ongoing until his beautiful bride has reached her maturity. I will build my church. And for 2,000 years, Jesus continues to build his church. And today, Jesus is building his church. With that great truth, let's go to the Father and pray for our day. Father, we do thank you for our time together. and. Again, thank you for the clarity of your word. I thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit that you promised would be our teacher if we would listen, if we would be careful, if we would be discerning, if we'd submit all our thoughts to Scripture. God, help us to be faithful in that regard. 
Thank you for the prophets who have gone before us, many who shed their blood sacrificially for you, for our good. Thank you for the treasure of prophecy that we have in our Scripture today. Uh, We give you all the glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.